Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Today's scripture reading is out of Colossians. Let me pull it up. There we go. Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This is the word of the Lord. Boom. One verse. I know, it's so easy. You're welcome. I love my wife. Give you one verse. As we talk about reassembly required in this deconstruction process, uh, this idea of people deconstructing or taking apart, dismantling their faith piece by piece by piece. And throughout the series, we're seeing why that can happen for people and that that is a journey people are on. It is a, uh, a journey that we're on at different stages, whether it's uh, pre-coming to church uh, before uh, saying yes to Jesus after saying yes to Jesus. You've been following Jesus for a year, 10 years, 20 decades. You go through this deconstruction process of kind of dismantling what you believe. Why do I believe that? What's going on? And in that, we're seeing, man, there are people that they've got doubts and they need proof. There are people with struggling with contradictions and they need answers to those questions. And today is this deconstruction process happening because of hurts caused by Christians. How many people have torn apart their faith because of an interaction with another Christian? Um, and, and it leads to this broken, dismantled, piece-by-piece piece sort of faith, and people want to give up on the church. And it makes me think of an example, uh, non-church-related, and, and just to get our gears turning on this idea, because some of us that love church, we're like, why would anybody give up on church? Well, Let's think about how we give up on other things for a moment. How many of you have given up on a restaurant because of bad service, right? Without mentioning any names, because we're not going to badmouth businesses, right? Uh, there is a particular business in our community that is a chain restaurant that I do not like to frequent, but my kids love it. Uh, and my kids love, love, love it, and yet every time we go, we get forgotten about. I pay $4 for a drink that doesn't get refilled. I get fries that seem to have a bottom even though they claim to be bottomless. One time I even ordered a burger and got a plastic bag clip in my burger. Yeah, no joke, no lie. Garbage, literally. That's how I would describe their food. And it was in my food. Let's just say it wasn't yum. Not gonna drop any names though. Numerous times I've declared with my kids, we are not going back to this establishment. And numerous times we go back to this establishment because it's their birthday, because their basketball team won, because they like it and I hate it and I don't want to go. How many of you have had an experience like that? You have a restaurant, you have a place, maybe it's a business and you're just like, nope, we ain't going there anymore, right? Anybody? Show of hands. Come on. You've given up internally on places, Right? People have done that, not just with restaurants and stores and Walmart and places like that. No, sorry, but Walmart lovers. But they're on my list too. But people do that with church. We have a negative experience with a Christian inside the church or even outside of the church. 
And it just puts this journey in the process, and they begin to dismantle their faith and what they believe, and as they're looking at, why do I need church? I don't need this. This is not crucial and integral to my growth. And so some people have grown up going to church, or they they go to church because their kids love it, just like my kids love that restaurant, right? Their kids love going to Sunday school. They go, 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 and then they have that bad experience, and it begins this deconstruction process, and then they never see the point of wanting to go back. And I want you to think for yourself where, where you find yourself in this idea of church hurt and you. Where are you at? That you may know somebody that feels de-churched or unchurched because of hurt. Maybe you yourself, you're good with church. You love it. I mean, you're here, so something's good. You like something about it. But you know somebody, or you've yourself gone through that journey of like, I don't know if I need church. And you feel that de-churched essence about you because you've been hurt by Christians, or somebody in your sphere of influence has been hurt by a Christian, and they, they don't want anything to do with it right? Some of us, we've been hurt by the church in the past, and so we're giving church another try, but we're anticipating hurt. Can you relate to that? That idea of like, I know that I, mm, eh, I'm on this razor's edge. I, let's see if this church is good. Let's see if these people are nice. Let's, and we, we create, and I've, I've seen this, we create almost these unspoken expectations or these tests that we're expecting the pastor or the church to pass. I'm going to fill out a prayer card and see if they call me back. I'm going to do this and see if they do that. You know, you're anticipating a hurt. You're almost looking for hurt, but you're anticipating that somebody's going to let me down and this is going to give me the reason I need to leave. See, I told you church wasn't safe. I'm out. Some of us might be even here today or watching online and you're holding on to a hurt. You're still hanging on to church, but there's a wound from your past. A pastor, a small group leader, a friend, uh, uh, somebody. And I bring up this topic, and instantly you think of a name, a face, an instance. The emotions come back, the pain, the resentment, the bitterness, the anger, the hurt. And then there's others. And you're, you're in church, you like church, You like church people, but you also know we're ordinary people following an extraordinary God, but in our ordinariness, we're going to make mistakes. And so you know somebody's going to hurt you. And may today be a reminder of how do we navigate and create a place where we can be safe to make mistakes and safe for others to make mistakes, knowing that we will get hurt and not have to give up on church, not have to throw that part out of our reconstruction process. Because for generations, people have wanted to give up on church. Generations. And I say that because in the book of Hebrews, written generations ago, he had to write this, whoever the author was, so could have been a she, he, she, whoever it was, the author of Hebrews wrote this, had to remind the early church to stay committed to each other. Look at this. And let us not neglect our meeting together as people, as some people do. So for generations, people have, yeah, let's give up on this. Let's not meet. Let's find other things to do. Let's get busy doing other activities. I've got yard work. I've got basketball tournaments. I've got this. I've got that. I don't want to go there because of this reason, that reason. I'm hurt. I, 
I'm done with those Christian folks, whatever it is. We found reasons to neglect meeting together, and the author of Hebrews has to write to the early church, the early church, not the modern 2023 church or the COVID church online that wasn't meeting in person, and this verse got thrown everywhere. No, this is generations ago. People still found an out, saying, I give up on church. And yet the church is valuable. Not the building, not the organization, the nonprofit. I'm saying the people, the community of people is valuable because it helps us grow in our relationship with Jesus. We teach each other, we serve each other, we care for each other, we pray for each other, we stand for each other, we deliver casseroles to each other. We encourage one another, we, we support one another. The church is valuable in our faith journey. And a dangerous trend in the deconstruction process is that people will isolate. They begin doubting and contradicting and asking questions and going through these times and looking at these things and then, okay, but I don't need church. And they isolate alone in their faith and yet we are a communal people. We are relationally wired inside. We worship a God that is built upon relationship of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's made us in his image, and you and I need relationship. We need people. We need community to be shared with each other, and even in our construction process, and in our deconstruction process, and in our re reconstruction process. As we reassemble around Jesus, we need to see that the church is a valuable part of the reassembly, right? Jesus refers to the church as the bride of Christ. We are Jesus' bride. We are, we are his, his true love, which means that I'm loved by Christ, but that also means my brothers and sisters in this room or in, in my church, they are the bride of Christ as well. Jesus died for the church. Jesus empowered the church. Jesus loves the church. Again, people, not the organization, okay? Jesus didn't die for a nonprofit. He died for you, which means in my reassembly, in my deconstruction and in my reassembly, the church is a valuable part of my life. And today I want us to see two simple ingredients, two simple ingredients to help us continue to reassemble our faith around Jesus and build a community as we do that. That faith is meant to be shared with people, not alone. So we're gonna look at two simple ingredients and just because they're simple doesn't mean it's easy, right? It can be simple to dribble a basketball, but it ain't easy to dribble a basketball sometimes. Believe me, I've watched some 10-year-olds try to do it, right? It's a simple idea here that we're gonna talk about these two ingredients, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. It can actually be quite difficult. And thinking about this idea of reconstructing in community, that is difficult because we expected church people to be better. They should know better. We trusted them, and they hurt us. And that's what makes this difficult, doesn't it? and you read stories and hear about it, or you experience it, or you hear anecdotes from friends or family members, and it just compounds, and we're just hearing these things and living in these moments. The church is meant to be safe people, and yet we end up getting hurt, and that's what makes this so complicated and so tough, right? We look at the church and we see abuse. This can be a huge hurdle for people, like, I want Jesus, but I don't want the church because of the, bu the abuse. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse. This overuse and abuse of power within the church has hurt people. 
I'm just putting some words to some of the hurt that people may have experienced or may be feeling. The mistreatment of people that are different than us. You see this and you're like, I want Jesus, but I don't want that. We're going to treat people differently because of their race or their background or their socioeconomic status or the sexual orientation that they have. We're going to treat people differently or mistreat them because they voted differently than me. Because of their gender. We get hurt because we see the mishandling of conflict. We see people hold grudges in church. We see angry outbursts. We see revenge. We see people being ignored. We were in conflict and people just like ghosted you. That hurts people in church. The broken trust that happens in church, right? You shared your heart with somebody and then they go and you find out like in their small group they talked about it. They've gossiped. That broken trust of feeling manipulated or feeling used by the church. And some of you uh, have felt used by other spiritual leaders and pastors and, and people. Feeling misrepresented within the church or misled. How about this? Just a hypocrisy. People outside of the church want Jesus, but they don't want Christians. Because they see two-faced. They see double standards. They see, oh, you can act that way, but they can't. And the hurt of just feeling forgotten in church. No one called, no one texted, no one emailed me. No one reached out when I was in the hospital. I feel forgotten, so I'm done with church. This is real, right? I mean, this is real stuff. These are real wounds that people carry. And it leads to wanting to say, I'm done with church. I mean, this is so much worse than anything you could experience at a restaurant. And we give up on restaurants. Well, it's no wonder people are giving up on church. Because there are intentional hurts and there are unintentional hurts here. Some of them are intentional. There are broken people who will break people. Hurt people will hurt people. We will not justify or excuse some of these acts. And we need to just call it out. as It's evil, right? It's wolves in sheep's clothing. It's wrong. Specifically, in talking about things like mistreatment of people and abuse and those sorts of things, like intentional hurt is not to be okay or not to be tolerated, not to be ignored. It is to be addressed and say, that is wrong. That was wrong. Jesus experienced intentional hurt by one of his closest friends, Judas. Intentionally betrayed him, sold him out. This was not an accident. Judas wasn't like, Oh, what just happened? I got 30 pieces of silver and gave up. G no, he, he planned it. He plotted it. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of his time, right? What did they do? They intentionally plotted to execute Jesus. That's intentional. That's not like, oh, I didn't mean for that to happen. That was accidental. What about unintended hurt, though? Because sometimes we do experience intentional hurt in church, but sometimes it's unintended. The person has blind spots, not bad intentions. Think about Jesus. He's hurt by somebody unintentionally, and I, I think of Peter, one of his closest friends again. I don't think Peter intended to betray and deny Jesus, but he did. And the reason I think it's unintended is when Jesus confronts Peter about it initially, what's his response? Those of you that have been in church a long time, you know his response very well, right? When he says, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, Peter's like, no, 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 I would never. I love you, man. We're tight. We're good. And then in a moment, 
of his blind spot being magnified by fear and insecurity and doubt, what happens? He unintentionally hurts Jesus. Christians unintentionally hurt each other all the time. We're misrepresented, we're misunderstood. We didn't intend to hurt somebody, but we still have hurtful effects. And I, I bring this up to one, put verbiage and language to the pain that some people would feel inside the church and outside the church, but also for us to see that we worship a God that knows what it's like to be hurt by church people. Jesus was hurt by church people. So the pain that we feel, the pain that we carry, the emotion that you feel and carry, and the pain and emotion that people outside of the church feel and carry, Jesus understands that. Because he trusted people that would betray him. He knows what it's like to be hurt by people who should know better. And yet, Jesus doesn't give up on people. Jesus doesn't give up on the church. And there's those two secret ingredients I was alluding to. What are they? Very simple. Grace and forgiveness. Now, they're simple because if you've been in church, you know those stained glass words, that Christianese, grace and forgiveness. It's complicated and difficult because there's a lot of layers to grace and forgiveness. But they're simple. Like salt and pepper on a steak. You ever had a steak seasoned by somebody with salt? Somebody, because I don't season steak, right? So sometimes I have a good steak, and they're like, what did you put on this? And they're like, we had 27 herbs and spices. Thanks, Colonel Sanders, right? But then... Sometimes you have it by somebody else, and it's like, what'd you put on it? Salt and pepper. What? This is amazing. It's so good. It's simple. It's tasty. It's like a Ron Swanson hamburger. It's just simple, but tasty. Grace and forgiveness are simple ingredients, but they, they can transform a community of believers. And when the Apostle Paul is describing these key ingredients to the early church, he knows that the church needs to be loving. He knows that the church needs to be united, but he also knows the church is going to mess each other up. And April read this one verse so beautifully, so let's break it down. Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults. Make room for people to make mistakes. This is the grace component, that undeserved kindness. Dealing with present offenses, right? When he says making allowance for each other's faults. He's talking about the present things that are happening, meaning people will step on your toes emotionally and spiritually speaking. Can we let that stuff go? Can we make room for mistakes? I think we are a very gracious church. I don't get a lot of emails of like, uh, Pastor, they refer to him as the Holy Spirit or his Holy Spirit or a Holy Spirit. Like, they don't, they, they don't get into, I don't get that kind of email pushback and feedback from people. We make a lot of room for people to make mistakes in our church. We're very gracious, and that's what he's getting at, is that people will misstep. But how do we make room for mistakes in the church? There's lots of ways that we can live this out. I was thinking about a variety of different practical ways that we can do this in making room for mistakes, right? Because how many of you are going to make mistakes in church? I'd love to connect with people that aren't raising their hand. I'd love to learn how you're not going to make mistakes. Because you'll notice, as the pastor of the church, I am raising my hand. 
I will make mistakes. I will offend. I will hurt feelings. Not intentionally. That's not my goal. But unintentionally, I will hurt. I will offend, and you will hurt and offend me. But to show grace to people, I was thinking about a few different ways we could do this. One is staying. See, in the deconstruction process, we want to remove ourselves from church. But just staying means, hey, I'm not taking my ball and running home. I'm going to stay. I'm not going to quit on you. I'm going to endure. Dealing with present offenses, like Paul is saying when he says make allowance or make room for people in this, means I'm going to stay and cut you some slack. I'm going to endure. Another way I was thinking that we can live this out is you see this throughout Scripture as this image. And if, if you don't, now you'll see it every time you read like the book of Acts or things like that. When they have conflict, they would do this, this physical act, and Jesus talks about it as well in the Gospels, of shaking off the dust from their feet, right? They wore sandals, and they would get dusty. And in a moment of conflict, there was this physical act of saying, like, we've tried everything, we've repented, we've asked for forgiveness, we've tried to reconcile and establish wholeness, and then there's this physical act of shaking it off, letting it go, right? And they would shake the dust, meaning the dust of this conflict in your home or in your town or in your sphere of influence, I'm washing my hands of it, I'm shaking my feet of it, I'm not going to carry it anymore. And we are going to interact with people and they're going to bother us at times or offend us or hurt our feelings at times. And I think that there's a lot that we carry on our, on our feet, if you will, so to speak, that we need to just shake off. Let's Taylor Swift this thing and just shake it off, right? I know you're all thinking it as I say that phrase, so I thought I'd just go there. There's so much that I carry from other people and, and, and I think that there's times that Jesus would just say, Sean, you need to just let that go. Shake the dust off your feet. Stop carrying that. Making room for people may require us to assume positive intent. Not everyone's out to get you. We often judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves based our, by our intent. Meaning that what you do, I'm going to judge you for it. How I intended to do, that's what I'm going to judge myself on. So I'm much more gracious to myself. I'm showing grace to myself when I do that, right? Well, I didn't intend to mean that. I didn't intend to forget your text. I didn't intend to sound so angry in that email. I didn't intend to make you feel that way. I assume positive intent for myself. Now I'm just challenging us, can we do that to each other? Making room for mistakes means I'm going to assume some positive intent. And that is a, a mantra that I learned from some employees at Starbucks. Like, that's one thing that they were taught, is that assume positive intent. Assume that maybe they did mention that they wanted no foam and a whisper of cinnamon, even though they didn't say it. So let's assume positive intent that when they throw it back at you, they just, it's the roids talking. Right? No, I'm just kidding. To assume positive intent, though, means I'm not going to assume the worst in you. And it's contradictory to our tendency to judge and to critique and to hold to high standards of other people. And it challenges me to empathize. Where are they at? What's going on? Assuming positive intent means 
that meant to be a positive text. I read it very negative. So I'm going to assume positive intent. I'm going to call and get some clarity on that one. Not text back. I'm going to call and say, hey, what's going on? And I'm going to reflect. See, that's the thing that I think sometimes when, when we're offended, we just we want to react. And I, I would challenge us to slow down and, and reflect. These are just practical things that I was thinking about this week of ways that we could do this. Ask yourself, why is that bothering you? Think about the emotions, the hurts, the insecurities. Label those things. Put these things into, ver- into words. And think about, was I wrong in any of this? Did I misunderstand what they were trying to say? And I think sometimes, and maybe some of us today can relate to this, sometimes, we, sometimes we've made mountains out of molehills, right? We've taken something small, and we've just blown it up, right? And then now we're going to react, and we're going to make some drastic action based on it. Well, I'm done with church. I'm out. It reminds me of when my kids get hurt sometimes, we, we exaggerate the solution, the medical solution with them. You know, they'll get a paper cut on their finger, and we're like, well, I guess we could amputate your arm. They're like, but it's just a paper cut, Dad. Yeah, let's cut it all off. Let's take you to the doctor. We got to get rid of this thing, right? Or like, my ear really hurts. What happened? A ball hit me in the ear. Okay, well, let's just cut right here, right at the head. We'll just amputate, right? Or we'll cut the ear off. Right? We jokingly exaggerate. And with, when our kids were really young, like, they're like, no, don't do that, Dad. Why would you cut off my leg? It's just a stub toe. Right? And I think in some instances, we have had our toes stubbed in church. And we want to amputate from the body of Christ. We want to cut off from relationship and community. And by showing grace, what we are doing is we're saying, I'm not going to be easily offended. I'm not going to be quick to judge. I'm not going to make harsh and rash decisions. But I'm going to extend the grace to them to make mistakes. The second part of this verse is to forgive one another who offends you. Forgive anyone who offends you. And this idea of forgiveness is shifting, as Paul says this, and I I didn't see this in the English, but in the the, uh, original language, you see the shift from Enduring present offenses to now forgiveness is dealing with past offenses, things that hurt you in the past. And it's showing kindness for the things that have happened in the past. And Jesus talked a lot about forgiveness in his teachings and in his ministry. Uh, He talked about forgiveness bringing freedom. In Matthew 18, he used a, a parable to describe forgiveness It's like tearing up an invoice of somebody else that's wronged you. They owe you something, but you're going to rip that up and say, you don't owe me anything anymore. You're setting them free. That's what forgiveness does, right? When I forgive somebody for the wrong that they've done to me, I'm ripping up the invoice that says, you owe me a pound of flesh. You owe me this. And it sets them free for you. Like, you are setting them free of that. But internally as well, this is the crazy part, you're also being set free. Because now you're not busy holding over invoices and keeping track and keeping score. It sets you free. I had a counselor point this out to me in marriage counseling, and he noticed that I was very anxious about a lot of stuff. And he said, Sean, you give people so much power in your life because of a text or because of a call or because of a conversation that just didn't go well. 
and you play it on loop. Anybody do this? And we just play it on loop. And my counselor pointed out to me, he said, you are giving somebody so much power in your life. You need to deal with that. Whatever that instance was, whatever you're holding on to, you need to forgive them, and that will set you free. You rip up their debt, but you're also ripping up your responsibility to collect. Forgiveness brings freedom. Forgiveness is for the big, the small, and for all. Jesus talked about forgiveness, and it wasn't limited to just big things. It wasn't limited to small things. It was for all things. That's what Jesus challenges us to forgive. And, and where I see this is as he's hanging on the cross, what does Jesus say? Forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Let's show forgiveness because maybe they don't get it. And if he can do that while hanging on the cross, gasping for air, watching the soldiers gamble for his clothes, watching his disciples betray him, watching the very people he probably taught and healed and did miracles for turn on him, forgiveness is for the big, the small, and for all. And there are some things I think we're busy keeping score and we're worried about well, what about this? And I can forgive for that, and I can't forgive for this. And Jesus teaches us forgiveness is limitless. The hurt, the pain, whatever you're feeling, it's limitless. But the forgiveness supersedes anything of that. It's bigger than that. Jesus taught us that forgiveness is meant to be done on repeat. Forgive on repeat. It's extensive, it's over and over again, it's often, right? When asked about forgiveness, Peter comes to him and he says, hey, Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody? And what does Jesus say, right? Peter's like, hey, seven times, that's pretty holy. I'm pretty special. Seven times, somebody's gonna cut me off in traffic and I'm gonna forgive them. And Jesus says, well, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Meaning it is on repeat. Showing that forgiveness to somebody to continue to make mistakes. Think of how many times you and I have made mistakes over and over and over again. And we've gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, forgive me. And he's not like, well, we're getting close to 70 times 7. You need to stop swearing. You need to stop looking at that. You need to stop smoking that. You need to, you know, 70 times 7, man, you're running out of forgivenesses. Forgiveness is on repeat. We stop keeping score. Forgiveness is also a part of our healing journey. I want to just mention this last part about forgiveness here as we move on, but we're carrying a lot of emotion, a lot of resentment, a lot of pain, a lot of these things, and forgiveness heals. As I said, it sets you free, but I also think forgiveness is kind of like that hydrogen peroxide we put on a wound. I just, I don't know why, but that is like such a gratifying feeling, especially when it's not my wound, it's somebody else's. <laughs> knowing that it's just cleaning out that stuff, right? When it's mine, it's like, oh, let's go, right? But when it's your kid, you're just like, it's okay, it's good, yeah. And you watch it sizzle. I'm weird. I'm weird. But I find solace knowing, knowing that it's cleaning and it's purifying. And that forgiveness, I'll tell you, I've prayed 
prayers of forgiveness for people that have hurt me. I've journaled about forgiveness. I've talked about forgiving people. But it's identifying the hurts. It's describing the emotions. It's describing the pain. It's, but I'm verbalizing also, not just the wound. I'm verbalizing, God, help me to forgive them. Help me to let go. Help me to heal. And this is, this is hard because we're talking about grace and forgiveness, and some of us are sitting here, why should I forgive? They're the ones that hurt me. The church hurt me, and this is the frustrating part about this is that as we talk about grace and forgiveness, and, and some of you might be listening and, and thinking, yeah, but that's all what I need to do about me, and I'll tell you what, that's all you can control. Someone hurt you, you can't control what they do. Someone hurt you with a text or an interaction or an experience or they really hurt you intentionally, you can't make them repent. You can't make them change. You can't make them ask for forgiveness. But what you can do is you can extend grace and you can extend forgiveness. You can control you. And so you are reassembling your faith around Jesus. You can experience and you can live out grace and forgiveness. But we can't extend something we have not experienced. And so Paul ends this verse, again, simple verse, but here we are, we're talking, man, right? Verse 13, remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. He ends the verse with this idea. You are extending what you have experienced. You cannot extend something you don't know. You haven't experienced. If you have not experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, it's going to be really tough for you to want to pass that along. And we see this in John 21. Think again about Peter betraying Jesus, and Jesus shows up on the beach, and they have breakfast together. But before Jesus uh, reinstates him and forgives him, before any of that, right, Peter had done what? He had betrayed Jesus. He had broken that trust. He hurt him. He abandoned him, right? And Peter goes back to fishing. Uh, go back to what I know. Goes back to fishing. Jesus shows up on the beach, extends grace, extends forgiveness, restores relationship. Says, Peter, do you love me? And it's in that moment of restoration and forgiveness and grace that Jesus shows up on the beach and extends that grace and forgiveness to Peter. And then Peter goes, and what does Peter go on to do? He goes on to extend that same grace and forgiveness to other people. He becomes a pioneer for the early church becomes an author of some of our scriptures. He becomes a miracle worker, a teacher, a preacher, right? He's an extension of Jesus in his world, but he is extending the same grace and forgiveness that he experienced on that beach one day. But he couldn't do that if he hadn't had that moment. We need beach moments. We need moments where Jesus forgives us. Because it reminds us that Jesus doesn't give up on people and he doesn't give up on you. You've given up on people, but Jesus hasn't. You've given up on the church, but Jesus hasn't. You've given up on yourself, but Jesus hasn't given up on you. And so we have to experience the forgiveness of our sin and our brokenness and our flaws and our hurts. We've got to bring all of that to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm broken. Forgive me, restore me, bring me to wholeness. Reassemble my life around Jesus. And start by building our faith on Jesus, not on people. I think today reminds me that a lot of us have built our faith on personalities of people. 
pastors and friends and spouses and parents. We build our faith on people. And Jesus is saying, nah, let's, let's build our life, build our faith with people, but on Jesus. Build your faith on Jesus because he's the one extending you forgiveness, extending you grace, giving you a fresh start, bringing you wholeness. And then with that, let's build with people. Let's build community with people. I heard this about the church, <clears throat> that a Christian community is not something you find or discover. Christian community is something that is built. I just thought, like, that, that's what the church is. It's something that's built, something that's established. Some of us are on the lookout for the perfect church. Have you found it? I don't think we will. Some of us have given up on church because it's not the perfect church. Because we're trying to build our ideas of church and our ideas of faith on people, not on Jesus. Build it on Jesus and build it with people, not on people. Huge difference. And what happens is we begin to shift our perspective off of me and onto we. So much of why people are hurt by the church, too, is because we're all about me. Can I get something from this church? Will they feed me? Will they, uh, will they teach me? Will they serve me? Will they care for me? Will they platform me? Will they love me? Can I get something from this church rather than can I help build this people? Can I help build with these people? Being a community, and this is why church is so valuable to me and why I have hope in the church and I believe in the church and I believe we all should be a part of a local church is because it shifts my focus off of me and onto we. Because in we, I learn to forgive and be Jesus with people. If I'm all by myself, who do I have to forgive? Who do I have to extend grace to? But see, I grow when I learn to live those things out of grace and forgiveness as we follow Jesus together. And so we're going to go into a time of worship, and I want you to think about these themes of forgiveness and grace. And each week we have um, kind of a now what response. And this worship time might be a good time for you to start processing some of those things, but we'll throw it up on the screen there. Just that now what idea is to begin thinking about the hurts and the pains that you've experienced in life. The worship team's gonna come up because we're gonna lead into a time of worship together. And your now what for this week is to really process through and think through, maybe write out, describe what you've, what you've been carrying, what you've been hurt by, and extending that forgiveness. And I'm not saying that today's just, we're gonna, we're gonna fix all that, but could it be a step in that direction? Could it be a step in that direction? And the other part of this step that I want us to, to come into worship with is um, do we need to come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness for anything? Because I can't pass along what I haven't experienced. Amen? We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com slash connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.